Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and welcome to Three Reasons to Use Games in Your Classroom. Today, we are talking to Dustin Stats. Dustin is an international educator with experience teaching domestically and abroad in over seven cities and four countries. He is also the founder of Board Gaming with Education, a podcast and community created and centered around games in various educational settings. He is also heavily involved in the communities where he lives by hosting board game events, along with hosting, presenting, and attending professional development for educators. Dustin also, Dustin is also the designer of Worlds XP, a classroom resource that gives teachers the tools and concepts necessary to apply gaming elements to their curriculum. You can find Dustin in Los Angeles teaching, playing board games with friends, running around LA, training for races, jamming to music, and at any of the board gaming with education events. But today, Dustin has joined the Educators to Educators podcast to talk about three important topics, games and game mechanics and what that means and how those uh, mold a more positive learning environment. He's going to talk about how games help to motivate and engage students And finally, he's going to wrap up by talking about lesson planning and how lesson planning is like game design. Before we get started with Dustin today and this very fun episode, I want to remind all of you to head over to educators2educators.com to register for this year's New Year Reboot Conference. It is a few weeks away and it is free and all online, which means you can attend that conference from your jammies. We are going to be announcing all of the presenter and presenter sessions within the next week. And let me tell you, you are not going to want to miss this free conference. Go register and invite all of your friends. Today's podcast is sponsored by the E2E membership site. Did you know that you can become an E2E member for $10 a month? That's right. You can have access to every single video in the E2E library from all of our previous conferences. You can have access to information about creating a resume, starting a TPT store, how to use games in your classroom, teacher self-care, creating healthy boundaries. The list goes on and on and on. And it's $10 per month. That's it. All right, let's get started with our interview with Dustin. So Dustin, welcome to the Educators to Educators podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to get into a conversation about games and education. We have been focusing on games in the classroom in the E2E membership site. And so I'm really excited to connect with you for you to even just give us more insight into why it is so amazing to use games in the classroom. I'm excited to, to share my experience and share a little bit about the research I've done to kind of back up my experience a little bit too. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that you have some research behind you. Let's, let's uh, take a minute here to do an overview of what we're going to talk about in this podcast episode. So within, as you know, at E2E, we always have one overarching three theme, and then we have three subtopics. So today we're talking about three reasons to use games in your classroom. We're going to talk about how games and game mechanics help uh, create a positive learning environment. 
Then we're going to talk about how games help motivate and engage students, which I think we're all looking to do. And finally, we're going to talk about how lesson planning is like game design. So let's get started by defining game-based learning and gamification. What are, what are they and what are the differences between the two? Right. So I think this is an important distinction to make, in, especially in education, because I think... Um, well, gamification kind of gets a bad rap in education, but I think that's because of getting wrapped up in semantics of what gamification is as far as different components of gamification. So gamification is applying game mechanics to maybe your class uh, behavior management system. So maybe you reward your students with experience points for doing something that you want to encourage in your learning environment. Where game-based learning is playing the game as part of the learning outcome. So a good example I have for this is with English language learning. So for example, when we are studying maybe the uh, conditional statements, we might play the game werewolf. And in that game, you use the statements like, I believe so-and-so is a werewolf because. So you're making a statement of why. And then you also have to use modality verbs as well as um, other parts of grammar that you can kind of go back to and look at those parts of the grammar that you used in the game. And so they're practicing those grammar aspects in the game where gamification could be something like playing go fish. And if you play go fish, every time you take your turn, you have to define a vocabulary word. So that's a way of adding gamification onto a lesson. Gotcha. And why do you think it's important? You said it's important for us to know the difference. Why do you think that is? I think because one thing that's really important when you're using games in class is you want to know the reason for using the game in the class. Why are you, what's your goal by implementing this game or implementing this game mechanic? Are you using it to develop class culture? Are you using it to maybe motivate students? Or is it part of your overall learning outcome of class? Gotcha. It's it's the same with technology, right? Technology can be fluffy or it can be rooted in something really important in your classroom. And I think that in the ed tech industry, when it does get a bad name is when, you know, you hear even parents saying, well, the teacher's using the technology as a babysitter. They could easily say, well, the teacher's using games as a babysitter. Right. And so if we strongly know the why of why we're using these things, it's much more powerful. Right. I have a, a previous uh, co-host of mine on the Board Game with Education podcast, and he likes to make the statement that sometimes as teachers, when we use games in class, we confuse the fun for learning. So we see our students engaged, we see our students having fun, but then we're not quite sure, are they actually learning what we are intending them to learn? So that's mm -hmm. where it comes behind or goes back to, well, what is the intention? Is the intention to kind of build a relationship with your students? then maybe you can add a game at the end of class if you complete something early or maybe you have downtime during homeroom. Then maybe just playing a game in general can help build those relationships. But if you're really trying to target a learning outcome, you need to be able to assess that at the end of the game. Are you sure the students understood or took in the knowledge that you as a, t a teacher, educator, are presenting to your class? Both serve a purpose, right? Right. Yeah. It's just like, I think about how I used to make up the most ridiculous songs to teach my kids. I, I remember I made up, um, 
some song. This was a long time ago, so I can't sing it, but it was to a Beyonce song. And I made the lyrics up to about how you move the decimal point in math, dependent on the you know operation. And uh, I, I made up a lot of silly dances and songs. And at the end of it, it, it was learning, but the kids didn't even know it, but it helped them memorize important things. Um, and I could see the outcomes. I knew those dances weren't just fluff. So, um, all right, let's talk about how games, the right games and game mechanics help mold a more positive learning environment. Talk to us about that. Uh, So I guess maybe we can start with something that I think is really kind of in the using games in classes, kind of making a push is using collaborative games. And it's important to use these games because it provides a healthy environment. There's not a lot of uh, maybe toxic competition that you might find in some competitive games. Um, You're working as a class, you're learning to collaborate, you're learning learning to work together with your classmates. And one theory in psychology is uh, Piaget's theory of development. And so in, in psychology, there's a theory, Piaget's theory of moral development. And I remember learning about this theory in class in college in my educational psychology class, but I circled back around to it when I started using games in class and understanding the reasons why we might use games in class. And essentially, the theory states that as a someone, as a child developing early on, we see some divine figure that creates the rules and we need to follow those rules because that's how the way it should be. But as we develop and grow older, we learn that, no, (laughs) these rules are not some magical figure that we have to follow. They're actually designed by someone, and we have the ability to break those rules if we want. So within a game, a collaborative game, sorry. I just said that's very interesting. (laughs) Is it it the adolescent years that you really start to realize that? (laughs) Right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So within like a, a game and especially a collaborative game is there, you have rules that you have to follow and that are designed by the game. And you, usually when you play a board game, you learn the rules and you follow those rules. But within games, there's a lot of unspoken rules and in board games, you call it the magic circle. And it's certain things that you can or you shouldn't do within a game. Um, so for example, like, I think you kind of make up your own rules maybe for taboo would be a good example. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of a way that I have other other examples, but they're kind of specific to the board game hobby where there's very technical rules within the game. And maybe you aren't sure how to interpret that rule, but as a, uh, like as a table play in the game, you have to decide, well, how should we interpret the, this rule and let's agree upon this moving forward. So in class you're learning to navigate these social situations and you're learning very uh, simple, like waiting your turn. Games are more fun when you don't break the rules. Um, So you're learning these things through playing a game. So can I give you an example and you tell me if, if this falls into this. So in my family, in my, you know, my parents, um, we are big game players at the holidays. Like it's like, get the dinner table cleared so we can play games. Like we are big game players. And like, we have this rule and it's an unspoken rule that if you're rolling a dice and it goes off the table, it is, it does not count. We have to re-roll no matter what happens. Now, now would that fall into this category of this unspoken 
rules right right that would be like the the magic circle i guess another example is if the dice uh doesn't quite roll fully on its face well how yes. do you decide how to interpret that that die roll yeah we have issues with that in in uh in our family sometimes <laughs> we play a lot of dice games and it's like no 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 the, you got to give it a good roll um so I, I saw in our notes when we were kind of planning for this that you were talking about how these special moments in games um, can create a bond within the classroom. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in games, you have something called a Fiero moment. And this is defined by Jane McGonigal, a really great book called Reality is Broken. And she she goes into all the different ways that games can help society and how games are very, very similar to what we already are doing in society. And she kind of defines those concepts and theories in games and in society as well. Um, but she defines this term called Fiero, and it's a Latin term. <laughs> Not 100% <laughs> sure on that. I remember looking Sounds it up good to me. before. <laughs> um, but it's essentially like a moment of uh, like triumph over adversity. So in a game, mm. like you get those moments when you just throw your hands above your head because you maybe as a team you completed or you won that round and you got like seven points, which is the most points anybody's gotten that night. And everybody just throws their heads, hands over their head. That's called a fear of moment. And if you are able to, and games do this very easily, create these moment, moments in your class, this is something that lives on through the rest of the quarter, through the rest of the year. And it really helps develop those relationships with your students. You can always reference back to that moment. Oh, you remember when Bob uh, rolled a seven and he only needed a six or something like that. <laughs> um, and just, I think I always saw using various games within my classroom that students that necessarily wouldn't socialize with one another outside the classroom all of a sudden became bonded over you know, scoring points in a game or that teamwork. And so I really loved that about how that created a more positive learning environment is that I saw kids who didn't interact, interacting uh, passionately at times. Right. And I think some of my, my most favorite experiences using games in class is seeing, um, because most of my background is teaching English as a second language. So in, in Taiwan, especially, you have very shy students because they're nervous about making mistakes. And hmm. this is something we can get into a little bit more, but one of my favorite experiences is seeing those shy students really come out of their shell. And we were playing one game where they, there was a, a necessary leader on the team and the leader ended up being the most shy student and she was taking control of the game. I was like, wow, this, this is, I need to do this more often maybe. I think there's something about games. My brother, um, he was extremely smart and he would, um, he was super introverted, but you got him playing a game and his personality would just come out. Yeah, I think as games, they allow us to kind of transform as a game player instead of, um, in, our, in our case, as educators, as a student learning, maybe for myself, learning a language. Um, so games allow a student to become a game player instead of worrying about making mistakes, learning a language. This is a perfect segue to talk about our second topic, which is games help to motivate and engage students. So talk about that a little bit. 
Right. So this is actually, I love referencing this quote and I reference it for any presentation so far that I've done on games. Maybe, maybe it'll change in the future <laughs> if I talk about this. This is usually used for an introduction into game-based learning or gamification. And it's from Ralph Koster and it's a theory of fun is the name of the book. And what he goes on to say is what a book will never be able to do is accelerate the grokking process, which is essentially the mastery process to the degree that games do because you cannot practice a pattern, run permutations on it with a book and have the book respond with feedback. So games are really great because they provide instant feedback to students. If you can design a game that um, creates a learning outcome in a way that students understand that they are working towards that learning outcome or not working towards that learning outcome. A game can do that where maybe a book is not giving them instant feedback. They'll read about a book, maybe write a report about what they read, and then as a teacher, you'll give them some feedback on that. That Those are series of steps into the learning process or a game, you're, you're immediate. So I just want to stop and clarify here that you know, we're talking about you as an educator creating a game or using a game that's out there that's educationally based. It's not you putting Monopoly in front of your students and having them play Monopoly on a rainy recess time, right? We're actually talking about either a game that you come up with, and this could be a game like Jeopardy, right, that you play in your classroom, all the way to even, you know, obviously there's so many educational games out there that you could purchase that go along with your teaching, right? So I just want to make sure we're on we're on the same page here for that. Right. So as an example, I have um, someone who was on our podcast recently, and he just finished uh, launching a game on Kickstarter called Element Poker. And in that game, you are pairing up different elements. You're creating like a straight based on the numbers where these elements fall in the periodic table. Um, you're creating pairs based on atomic numbers. You're creating classifications based on the type of metal. So... Something like this is where students are playing a game with their classmates. They're trying to create pairs, flushes, straights, and they're receiving feedback from their classmates. Well, they start to play that. If I mean, when we first learned how to play poker, we're trying to figure out, okay, what suit is what? How does What comes after the 10? Okay, the jack comes after the 10. So in this process, the students are learning the elements of the periodic table. Oh, wow. That sounds way more fun than the way I learned it in high school. That's for sure. <laughs> right. It's... No disrespect to my high school teacher at all, but <laughs> he was wonderful, my high school te chemistry teacher. But that I see what you're saying. So um, if you're a teacher listening to this right now, um, and, and we can talk about this a little bit at the end, but this might sound a little overwhelming. Like, how am I supposed to come up with all these games? Where am I going to find games? Um, talk a little bit about maybe small things that you could do, um, that would start you down this journey in your classroom. Right. So I think one way maybe just to get started would be to engage in some of, or even just join and, and be a. I guess, uh, onlooker, or I don't know what the word is in the online community, maybe like a creeper and just kind of creep on posts that people use or share their experiences playing games or using games in class. There's a, a bunch of resources online for teachers who have already tried these things and you can maybe find something and adapt it to your class or even just almost recreate exactly what they did, depending on maybe where you are in your your year and what you're studying or what you're teaching. 
and I mean, I'm a big Instagram user. I've been posting because we have been focused on using games in the classroom, posting like someone took guess who the game and turned it into like a multiplication. You know, do you have two times four and the other person has to look for eight. Um, that's an example in a younger elementary classroom, something super simple. You could pick that up at a garage sale, or it might even be sitting like in your parents' basement. Um, right. Where you could start with some small things like that. Would that be a good way to go is to take games that you might have sitting around and convert them into something for your classroom. Right. I think that's a perfect, perfect example. And you mentioned guess who another like game that most people have lying around their house or their classroom is Jenga. And yes. there are so many ways that people can use those blocks in a way to kind of gamify their lesson. This would be more of a, an example of gamification, maybe where you have a review lesson. And then as a class or as a team, you send someone up to draw a block from the Jenga board or the Jenga pile, I guess. And then mm -hmm. they have to answer the question that's on that block. So um, I do want to insert here because a lot of the E2E members that are part of our membership site listen to this podcast. So within the games module, there is an entire video I created. I think there's 10 ways to use Jenga in your classroom. So I teach you all these different ways that you can use the game. Um, so make sure you check that out if you are an E2E member. Um, I also There's also a video about how you can take those everyday games and turn them into games in your classroom. So just wanted to bring that up. So let's talk about... Um, you're talking about fun is all about like making our brains feel good. So how, <laughs> how does this relate to using games? Right. So again, this is from Coster and I, I really like this book and it's really a like cute book because he, he draws comics for each of his points. So it's, I feel like it's maybe a hundred, 150 pages, but every other page is a comic and it's a comic in a visual representation of the point he's trying to make. And so again, that's called a theory of fun, but he, this quote, and I, I like to read it because I don't want to get it wrong, but he talks about fun is all about our brains feeling good. There are many ways we find fun in games, but learning is the one I believe to be the most important. Fun from games arises out of mastery. It arises out of comprehension. It is the act of solving puzzles that makes games fun. In other words, with games, learning is the drug. And he goes on to, and there's some research to show that fun in this way is releases some dopamine in our brain that essentially is the same dopamine that's in someone who takes drugs. So it's, it's a feel good wow. sensation that we get from playing games and there's different intrinsic and extrinsic motivations within a game. For example, the extrinsic motivation, maybe you place your piece in a particular spot and you receive uh, money for doing that as an extrinsic motivation built within the game. Or maybe you win and you're happy about your achievement or you get a high five from your classmate. That's a little bit of extrinsic motivation as well. But there's also intrinsic motivation. And for example, again, going back to collaborative games, there's the pleasure of working with others and finding your role within that team and really filling out that role that there's a sense of motivation and sense of uh, achievement from that, as well as just the pleasure of solving puzzles. I mean, we love the sense of achievement we get when we finish a puzzle, even just a, for instance, a thousand piece puzzle. We get a sense of achievement from putting together that puzzle. So there's a lot of extrinsic and intrinsic motivation when we play games. It's interesting when you're talking about that. It makes me think about 
how you set this up in your classroom and how you set up your teams and your roles is probably pretty important when it comes to games. Um, for instance, I've done a couple of escape rooms in, you know, like real life where you go to an escape room and both times it was with the companies I worked for. It was like a team building thing. And the first time we went, I absolutely hated the experience, hated it. And I know exactly why I hated it. We had too many playing. We were at the max amount of people that could be in there. Mm. And all of a sudden it became like a game of who can be, there were so many type A personalities in there and extroverted people. It was like, people were just talking over each other. No one was listening. And it was almost like people were just trying to prove how smart they were. And it was interesting because for me, who I am talkative and extroverted, I kind of backed away from the game and didn't really engage. It was just too much for me. Um, and, and it's often made me think about when you have competition going on in your classroom or games, just making sure that everyone feels comfortable within their role. Right. I think that's 100% something that as educators, we should keep in mind. And I think, I think we do that already with our lesson planning. That's kind of maybe the third point is we need to consider what role this game plays in our class. And when we do that with lesson planning, when we're bringing a game in the class, it should be no different. Exactly. So let's talk about when you are doing that lesson planning and how it is like game design. Right. So I don't design games professionally, but I do it as a hobby. And I listen to a lot of um, game design podcasts and um, do a little bit of research about game design. And I'm also building a classroom tool. So a lot of the things that I have to research for building this tool that is uh, used in class to add gamification in your class parallels a lot of the things that game design industry also does. So through that hmm. process, I've kind of learned a bit of the theory behind game design and how as a teacher, I was already practicing a lot of those theories in game design. And it's something called the iterative process. And uh, we design something, we put it out there, we see if it works, Okay, it doesn't work or it does work, or maybe some of this part works really well, this part uh, not so much. As a teacher, we change that lesson and then we keep what works really well and we get rid of what doesn't and we do it again. So after a couple times, we really get this very solid lesson that works really well year after year, or sometimes we may need to adapt it based on our students. And that's also something that kind of parallels into game design. You have to think about, your players when you're designing a game? What kind of experience do you want your players to have when you're designing a game? And when you're designing a lesson, you're thinking about what are these learning outcomes that I expect my students to have at the end of this? What kind of experience do I want my students to have during class? Do you think that if you're someone who hasn't really used games, a good place might to start, might maybe a good place to start would be, okay, try a review game right before a test. Try a whole class review game and then say, okay, we're going to do this. And then next year, maybe you can take that and pull it back and maybe iterate on it and do something that you're going to use earlier in the learning, not just for review, but during the actual learning process and kind of iterate on it that way. Is that one of the easiest places to start as like a review game? Yeah, I think, I mean, a review game or even something you mentioned earlier is just a very simple, um, quick activity that's part of the lesson doesn't need to be the whole lesson. It could be just part of the lesson. Try it and then kind of reflect on, well, 
do did my students all engage in the activity or or some students not happy with it maybe you can even give a survey after class and that's something that is really important to my iterative process when i develop my lessons semester after semester is i always ask my students before what they expect mid-semester how's it going and then at the end how did it go and based on that i'm able to make changes and i think that's really important when we use games is ask your students how did it go did you enjoy it do you think you learned anything um i think sometimes there can be a bit of bias as far as well maybe in my experience because i was teaching university students this last couple of years and maybe i might use a game in class and they feel like they didn't learn something but that's kind of something that falls on my end where I didn't explain clearly why we're using this game. And a game can be seen as a waste of time, I think, for older students. Hmm, interesting. It's interesting that you say that because do you think that, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is when students get older? Are we training like high school students to think that they should come sit in their class for 40 minutes in their chair, consume information and move on to the next class? Like, why do they see it that way? <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's something that is why I've taken this approach in education and kind of went this angle, because I think that as teachers, and I think we feel it as educators, we need to implement these different teaching practices. The old ways aren't, we aren't seeing the best results with the old ways. And we know that our students are all different and there are different ways to learn. And so I think that it's important to incorporate these different opportunities for students. So when they do get to the university level, they see the value in doing something that's not the teacher lecturing to them. Yeah. I think even more college professors could probably use games in their classroom too. <laughs> <laughs> I might've gone Definitely to class agree. a little more. <laughs> well, anything else you want to add? Any last piece of advice you want to give to any educators out there thinking about using games in their classroom? I would definitely say, and this is my favorite piece of advice to give is to play more games. <laughs> and it's yeah. not, it's really valuable one, because you're going to see some game mechanics and see some ways these games operate and you can use those things in the class modern board games have so many different game mechanics today that it's it's really insane the level of opportunity we have as educators to use some of these things we can kind of break out of some of the old ways of using games um, but also you get to play more games so that's also a really great way to just do some research outside of class i love it great advice okay before we go uh, I think it would be fun for you and I to share three games that we play in our life or in our household at home or um, just to share out some of our favorite okay. games. If you had to pick three, what would they be? Um, so <laughs> on my podcast, we, we do something similar to the Desert Island Questionnaire, but that means I'm stuck with the three. So I'm just going to go with three games I've recently played or enjoyed. Uh, I'm going to have to think on this one for a second myself. <laughs> what would I pick? I think, I mean, one that I really loved, and it's it's a pretty, I guess, into the board game hobby, but it was the most popular game for the last, like, two years, I think, and it's Gloomhaven. And essentially, it's a hmm. video game in a box. 
So you choose a character, you level up your character, you go on different missions. So it's it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons in a way, like an RPG, tabletop RPG, but it's a bit more technical because you're you're having a battle within the dungeon and they really use some really clever mechanics in the game. So that would be maybe number one. Um, okay. Number two, I really like a game called Two Rooms and a Boom. And anytime there's a room full of eight people or more, I play the game. <laughs> um, and I, I've done some retheming with it too to use it in class. And it's because the theme's a bit, uh, I guess, not the most political correct. Um, because you have a bomb and a president and you're trying to get the bomb together with the president or keep the president safe. But it's a very, very great social deduction collaborative game because everyone has a different role on their team and you're trying to work together as your team as a team, but you don't know who's on your team initially. So you kind of have to figure out who's on your team to make sure you complete the objective. Um, and then number three, oh goodness, I don't know. I've been. I'm waiting for you to say like Monopoly or something super simple. <laughs> I don't know. I, I we we haven't been playing a lot of games because we just we just moved back to LA. Um, but I guess one company that I've been playing their games recently is uh, Capital Games Studio, and they make economic based mm. board games. And they do something in their game that I think would really help oh, a lot cool. of educators if more games did this. Is they show you the game mechanics in class, or they show you the game make. They show you the game mechanics in the game and how they can be used or how they're taught as theory or concept in your class. So it really connects, it bridges, mm. that, bridges that gap between the classroom and the game. Very cool. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. So I'll share our three, and I, I'm thinking more about that Thanksgiving Day family get-together that I was talking about. What games do we kind of play at those times? So number one is a super simple game, which is ref, re, right, left, center. And it the reason I love this game is it's literally chips and dice. And every age can play it. So my little nephew who is in kindergarten, or I'm sorry, my little niece who is in kindergarten, she can play this game. And like my 75-year-old stepfather loves this game. So the reason I love right, left, center is pretty much everyone can play it. Have you I played haven't. that game? No, I don't think so. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. And it's like, so, you know, there's just not a lot of materials. It's just a fun family game. Um, I could see that being a brain break game in a classroom okay. that teachers say, hey, you guys did an excellent job, like on this math lesson. Everyone was paying attention. Pull out rough, right, left, center at every table. You guys can play for five minutes. Um, it's quick and easy. Another um, game that I really like is called Penny Drop. Mm. And it is something that it's like a wooden game that I bought at like a mall console. You know, those those little like pop up shops they put at the holiday time in the middle of a mall that right, sell games. Right. Um, and it's just basically a dice and like you use this board game with six slots um, and you have to place pennies based on where you roll the dice. And then the number six, the penny drops in. Um, I brought this game to a New Year's Eve party. And again, the like five-year-olds all the way up to all the adults were obsessed with playing the game. Um, it's a super fun and easy one. And then finally, one of my favorite games that I could see also being used in the classroom is Train to Ride or Ticket to oh, Ride. Yeah, I love Ticket to Ride. 
Yeah. And they have so many different versions of it now. I think we have New York, Europe, and the United States. Um, but I really like that game. Not that you would necessarily use it. Um, again, it might be a game that you have just for fun, but it's, I think it's taught my kids a lot about geography. Um, just like where the different like major cities are in the United States and Canada and Europe. And so that's been, that's been a really fun one. And I think a good educational game. So there's my three favorites. Yeah, I, I think uh, those games really help with geography. Risk was a game I played a lot growing up, and I know a lot of different countries because of that game. <laughs> we have a, very, a lot of variations of Risk in our house. One of them's basically falling apart, and my brothers, uh, they used to beg me to play that game with them. And I'm like, Are you sh I didn't want to play. I didn't love it, but then every time they got me to play, I would win. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you guys sure you want me to play? Um, that's a great strategy game. And you know what I like about Risk is that it really teaches, like, patience and resilience. It's not a fast-paced right. game. Right. Right? You have to be patient when you're playing that game, which is probably why I didn't like it when I was younger. But, well, Dustin, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everywhere one... Can you tell everyone where we can find your podcast, where we can follow what you're doing and get more information about the work that sure, you're doing? Yeah, you can find me if you search Board Game with Education on most social media or even just Google or it's boardgamewitheducation.com. Um, I'm working on something that is going to be on Kickstarter. It's a crowdfunding site called Worlds XP. And it's for teachers to start thinking about using game mechanics in their class. Um, it's a toolkit, so it's not... It's not made for uh, it's it's easily adaptable so you don't need to use the whole kit for your class you can take it in parts or you can implement the entire kit and have a full gamified curriculum wow well you have to let me know when that comes out and i'll definitely share that with our audience well thanks so much for taking your time to be with us and uh, i look forward to seeing where everything goes and to continue learning from you that's it, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at Educators to Educators. We hope to see you back next week. And make sure you go check out the registration for the E2E conference. Until next time, my friends, keep on teaching on.